Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indie. Indie Game Business has one of the longest-running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome. We Whoa. I accidentally muted that. There we go. Let's bring that down. <laughs> Don't stream while you're muted, Andy. Don't stream for an hour. Can't believe I did that. Of course I can believe I did that. All right, let's just, let me refresh just to make sure we're live. How's it going? Good. How's good. Your I'm doing good. Okay, let me make sure I can host. Where's the host button? I'm, I'm watching an ad. <laughs> On your own channel? Dang it. There we are. I shaved. My mustache was bugging the heck out of me, so I shaved. Oh, did you do it? Uh... Richelle said, now you look Amish. Devious Oatmeal, what's up? Imdog, how's it going? Yes, we have dad hats right here, is what we got. We have the dad hats. Hello, Imdog. Not it, sneaking around this time. I know who you are now. Sneaky, sneaky. No peaky. All right, I'm just going to do one thing really quick. Twitch.tv. I'm going to host from my channel. I could probably do that elsewhere, but here we go. So if you guys want to host, just go to your channels and type in this. I will actually copy and paste it so you can do it. I wonder what happens if we type it in the channel right there. Just go to your channel and type that right there. Endless loops. Yeah, that would be awesome. It's like, it's like a mirror looking into a mirror. It, <sighs> Strange style of beard that left the upper lip bare. Red Tiger Pro, what's up? Yeah, it's forward slash host indie game business i'm indy over here that's jay powell from powell consulting group and we, we have dad hats today's dad hat day i guess apparently <laughs> it's also it was raining when i had to go pick up my son from school day so uh -huh. <laughs> the amish gamer <laughs> that's what honey said she said you look amish <laughs> sort of it's I don't know. I liked it. So today our topic is how to find a publisher and should you get a publisher? But first, let's talk about some news. First thing we're going to look at is this. I'm going to post it in the chat. Pagey Panda, what's up? I'm going to post it in the chat there. Lime Rancher. Lime Rancher director shares tips for surviving indie game dev. There's been some pretty yeah, stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. I saw it. I saw the thread when he actually did it, and it's, I mean, he's got some 
really good things that you don't think about, you know, and, and, and you and I were talking about this before, um, before we went live a little bit. It's when you're thinking about your internal resources, you don't realize sometimes how long some things take. And so to be able to think ahead, like he says, you know, three weeks, three months, three days, three years, it's a good little time frame to be, you know, going through because at the end of the day, you actually do have to shift your game and, and get it done. And time is the most important resource that you have. Your time and your knowledge, right? Your health. Your health? <laughs> well, you can be unhealthy and working on your game, but you can't do no. Well, there was another article this week about that, you know, about, you know, and I don't have the link to it, but I saw it yesterday about crunching you know, some of these teams talking about how they're killing themselves doing their games. And, you know, no, no, you got to have out. time for you, even like streamers, too. There was a time where I would stream 10 hours a day, seven days a week. And that is unhealthy. That's like a real job. A real job. I think you work harder working for yourself. Like if I were to stop doing what I've been doing, consulting and, and streaming and all of that stuff, and then go to work every day, I think I work way harder at home. It would be like, it'd be like kind of like a vacation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And, and Red Tiger just had a, um, just had the note right there on what show it was. Um, so yeah, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mute you real quick. Go ahead though. Keep it, carry on. All right. Who are you muting? Oh, you're going to mute yourself. Okay. Yeah. So the, the crunch of wait, you're, you're not muted Jay. That's okay. Here. Well, there, I muted him right there. <laughs> okay. You muted me, but you didn't mute yourself. <laughs> oh, I thought I muted you. <laughs> I'm still learning. Oh, wait. That time I muted me. All right. There we go. <laughs> That's okay. As soon as I learn how to use this mic, we'll be doing good. We can cut that out and post off. All right. It's all good. So, I'm like, yeah, like um, Red Tiger Pro, The Crunch. It was a very prolific article. And people are killing themselves. They're like working. You know, oh, we got to get this game out. So then a lot of studios are also requiring people to to put in extra time and like guilting people too. Well, everyone else is doing it. And you know what? Yeah. And, and that's what it is. I mean, it, it's not, you know, we have a serious issue with this. I mean, I've had it in my own career. You know, we had, um, I did an interview this week for um, Tony Chan over on Game Dev Loadout. And I think it's going out. It'll go live next week mm -hmm. but one of the things that we talked about was I, one of the jobs i was at you know i was doing literally the work of four people and this was before you could reliably like go in and you know telecommute basically right. and so i would wake up at two in the morning and not be able to go back to sleep and, and drive into the office and i would be like i had an ulcer i was throwing up blood you know and that, that at a certain point in time you go this is not healthy right you know, there's something we need to do to change that so um it, it, it is something that you have to be cognizant of as a developer because no, your employer can't force you to do it, but you know, they'll do guilt and they'll give you, everybody else is doing it because they're so passionate about the project. Well, when you're dead, you're not passionate about anything. So, you know, you have to, you have to manage yourself as a resource 
or you will absolutely, without a doubt, burn out. Right. You're here for me anyways. Thanks. You have mandatory overtime at your day job. I don't, is mandatory overtime legal? Can you make people work overtime? I don't think you can legally do it. Doesn't mean it can't be done. Right. I've seen it done. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. How much do they expect from the devs at crunch time? Sometimes they expect devs to stay there and sleep, sleep there. A lot of the, a lot of the biggest, um, studios that i know and they'll you know they'll post it as a perk hey we've got a full kitchen well you know what that means they want you to stay there so often that you have to cook your own food you know they'll have beds there for you know to people to crash on so they at pixar they have stuff like that they have a you know where you can they have food and a coffee shop they actually have a bar i think there's two bars in the big pixar building that you can go to i have a bar in my office you don't have a bar in your office (laughs) i do have a bar (laughs) in my office no i don't so the next thing was Nintendo actually finally opened up and said what they're going to do for their online service. Um, and it looks cool. I like it. They're going to do a, I think it's like $20, 20 or $30 a year, but they'll have 20 or $30 a year. That's it. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Let me click that link again. One month. Yeah. A year, 1999. Nintendo switch service debuts in September. So that gets you online um, for the games that are online. Uh, there'll be a classic game collection that you can play. It's going to start out with about 20 games, Balloon Fight, Dr. Mario, Super Mario 3, Donkey Kong, Ice Climber, Legend of Zelda. Uh, oh, you can also get a 12-month family membership that's just 15 bucks at $34.99. I don't understand what that means, but well, it, it enables it up like to eight Nintendo household. accounts. It's wow. like you can have... you can. If you get the single, the $20 one a year, you can play on your account, which is your little name on the Switch, on like any Switch. But if you're like us and you've got, you know, family in the house that plays, you know, my son wouldn't be able to play online, which isn't really a bad thing anyway. But, you know, right, he wouldn't be able to play online unless I got the, the family membership. So even at that $35 a year, that's ridiculously good. So Xbox has a setting where it can be, it, you can set it to where anybody that's on your Xbox can play your games online with their account. Yeah. Yep. Plus Xbox, Microsoft has those two accounts. One is, you know, Xbox gold. Yeah. And then Xbox live. And Sony's the same way. It's like you either have PlayStation now or PlayStation plus, but you have to have both to do everything. Right. So, well, and the one dollars a month that's going out. Xbox Live Gold or whatever it is is not bad. I mean, it's six bucks a month, but that means you can play online. Then the other yeah. one is like ten bucks a month, but they give you like like I got I got a fourteen day free trial and I got Sea of Thieves for free, which is oh, awesome because yeah, yeah. that's a sixty dollar game. But yeah, they have like a couple hundred games or a hundred and something games that you get for free. And then they have a bunch of games you get at a cheaper price. So, well, yeah, that's like one of the ones for um. For Sony is too, right? Um, and then so yeah, the bigger news is Steam. Yeah, and I think I think you've read through this more than I have, Andy. So I'll yeah, talking about playing on your TV, the Steam has had the Steam Link, which is pretty cool. We we bought one, except and I was going to use it in the other room, but honestly, I only used it like two times, and I didn't even play for very long. I just did it for a little bit. You can you can pull up a, a browser and look online, but now they have smart TVs. And now they are working on 
and it's going to happen where a Steam Link, basically, but you don't need a device. You just have to have a smart TV, but it will also do iOS and Android. And that the iOS and Android one is going to come out first. So that's interesting. Because what that means, there's a lot of services where you can play your games on your mobile devices. I can't remember the ones, but I tried out multiple ones. But what they do is you have to have an account with them and then you go there and you then you have to like get your Steam account on that account and then they have to download the games. With this, you'll just be able to directly do it right on your device without any of that stuff. So all of those things, all of those PC gaming, game on your phone type things, they're going to be gone. They're going to go out of business because everybody was just doing it with Steam anyways. So... I love that Moobot is posting all of this stuff. There's some playlists that are popping up. Self-publishing playlists. Also, if you have any questions for anything, you can look at the commands. You can scroll down. So, yeah, that's going to be interesting because I want to see what you can actually do. What's going to work and what's not going to work. I'm not real keen on buying a Steam controller, but, I mean, yeah, I know there's like a whole slew of games that if I could, you know, play... Uh, a Steam Link is due to launch May 21st, so that's only, what, 10 days? 11 days for Android and iOS. Is, I had a conversation with Steam, in, like, in August, and I said, you know, we've known a lot of this was coming, but no one could say anything because it hadn't been announced. And I said, look, just tell me you're not going to spring this on me, and it's going to be like, okay, this shit drops tomorrow, and then what happens? Yeah, I see it. I don't even hear it from them. I see it in a press release, and it's like, yeah, it's coming out in 10 days. Wonderful absolutely wonderful it says that it will look would work with mfi controllers which is what i have i actually have a couple of them i have uh the game vice controller yes bam i have the game vice controller for my for my for my my ipad i i never got a controller for my ipad the game vice controller let me see if i can find it real quick Here it is. This is the Game Vice controller. My iPad fits right in there. So, what you do basically oh. is. Well, that's pretty cool. Yep. And then there we go. Just like that. It's like a do it yourself switch. Yep. Here. I got to, I put it in wrong. There we go. Yeah, it totally is. There we go. But they have them for Android devices. They just sent me one of these a while ago and I used it. It's pretty neat. Only certain games work with it. But if you can stream your Steam games directly to it, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. So I'll be able to play on that because I have that. What does it say? The internet, it's five gigahertz yeah 5g 5g wi-fi 5g wi-fi well we've got 5g and 2g so yeah i'll be able to do that and play my steam games i wonder if that means that it'll be like because how the steam link worked is that the game would play on your computer at the time and then it would just stream right to it and then you would control it so you could come in and look at your computer and it would be running and controlling it wonder if it'll work like that. I would imagine it will because it's not going to be running on your iPad. No. So I would imagine that that's how it's going to well, work. The, the other downside is it's probably going to be like, you know, when I tried to play Civ on my my iPad, and it's like, yeah, basically your iPad is way too old to do this. So 
don't bother. I wonder if you can, because there's a way <clears throat> to add games to your Steam library that are not on Steam. Yeah. So I wonder if you can like be able to add Fortnite to it. Not that you I mean you can already play Fortnite on mobile because they have Fortnite mobile. But you can play more. You can play Fortnite on iOS. Right. You can play Fortnite on Android. Right. Yet. You used to do that to play in your seven-year-old laptop. Nice. Isn't that the company that tried to sue Nintendo? Yes, that is the company that tried to sue Nintendo. Used to steam. Use Steam to stream the game to it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so today we are talking about publishers, right? So, tell us, Jay, (laughs) what do publishers do? (laughs) So, that's one of the first things we we have to figure out. And we're going to make an assumption that you've already answered that age-old question of, do I need a publisher or do I not? You know, I gave a lecture three or four years ago in L.A. on this, and I had this nice little you know, flowchart laid out. And if you grab one of our business guides, that flowchart is like still in there because I haven't updated it. But it basically says, you know, are you creating a free-to-play game? And if you are, then yes, you need a publisher. But no, you know, going down to the next one, Are you? do you need money to finish your game? If you say yes, then yeah, you're going to need a publisher. No, you know, you can self-publish. But that's changed dramatically. You know, now I cannot in good conscience recommend to any indie, unless they have experience launching games on their own as self-publishing, for your first game, even your second game, you need to find a publisher. You need that, you know, support because you know everybody is specialized in something. Nobody does everything well, and you know that publisher is going to help you get over that discoverability hump, which is the big, you know, beast that everyone has to tackle. So, you know, unless your game is death trash. <laughs> Well, you know, or you name it Fortnite Survival Battleground or, you know, something like that. That'll get you, you know, a lot of SEO until you get kicked off the stores. Right. You know, so you need to think about what you need out of a publisher. You know, what do the publishers do? They give you money to finish your game. Um, They give you a producer most of the time that will, you know, help shape the game to a certain extent. You know, and it's a double-edged sword. You know, you may get a producer that, you know, wants to make changes to your game that you just can't even fathom doing. All of that stuff you got to, you know, work through up front. But, you know, they're going to help you fine-tune that game. They're going to help you get it localized. They're going to help you get, you know, testing done. And then they're going to help you with the marketing part, which is, you know, huge. And, you know, the marketing goes into helping your discoverability. You know, that publisher is also going to make sure that you're out there on, you know, more platforms than just Steam. And they've got, a better relationship with Steam than developers do mm-hmm. for the most part because, you know, they've got a library of stuff. And so, you know, where a lot of developers are like hitting their account manager, you know, daily leading up to the Steam summer sale on, hey, are we going to be in it? Are we going to be in it? This is where we're going to be. You know, these publishers have gotten phone calls from, you know, Steam months in advance. This is okay, you're going to teach you on day two. And here's all the games, you know, here, here's how many slots you have or you know, however they set it up with each publisher. But, you know, they've got a better relationship with a lot of these stores and they're the ones going and doing the day-to-day back, you know, back and forth on, you know, getting you featured, getting you in, you know, these sales that are going to cause big spikes in, in, in your revenue and things like that. So, you know, that's the big picture of what they do. You know, if you got a, um, 
retail game, the other ones is actually getting the boxes cut and the CDs shipped and distribution and warehousing and all that kind of good stuff. But that's a, a smaller segment now. But not all companies do that. So, right, you know, and they like have them. the press and influencer relationships already established. For the most part. That's, the, the, the influencer world is still so much in a growth spike that, you know, it's still... I would say for most publishers, the relationship with streamers and influencers is going to be a joint effort on the developer part and the publisher part. Because if the developer's been doing a good job of cultivating a community before they get to that point, then there's going to be, you know, mutual sharedness going on on that side. Uh, but yeah, I mean, because that's what marketing is now. You know, it, it's not nearly as important to get something, you know, in PC Gamer with review. You know, yes, it's good. We like to have it, but it's more important to get, you know, a streamer who's, you know, got a lot of followers, who is very passionate about the genre of game that you're in, playing your game day in and day out. That's much more you know, valuable to a publisher, to a developer than a review and a website or a magazine. So, you know, we typically, you know, internally here break publishers down into three categories. There's the big companies, that's your EAs, Take-Twos, Activision, Ubisoft, the big, big companies. Um, then you've got that middle tier of publishers and then, you know, a smaller group that we call the digital publishers. And the digital publishers are, you know, a lot of times they have extensive marketing and PR background. And when the world shifted to e-commerce and they didn't need to have a rep down in Bentonville, Arkansas, so, you know, they could get the game on the shelves in Walmart, they just needed to be able to leverage their you know, media contacts and marketing contacts, you know, that style of publisher popped up. So, you know, you're thinking your mid-tiers is your Devolver Digitals, you're thinking the, the smaller guy, and there's a ton of the, of the digital, we track, 500 plus publishers globally so there's somebody out there for everyone but you know the big companies are you know if you're looking and you need a million 10 million 20 million dollars to get your game you know finished then you that's your segment right there you know there's only a small percentage of companies that's going to do that and those companies are usually going to take care of everything for you um you know the middle tier they're going to still offer and pay for uh, you know, advances and guarantees and things like that, but it's not going to be, you know, in that 10 million plus range anymore. It may go up to 10 million for some of them, but, you know, it could be, you know, around the 100, 200,000 range, you know, otherwise. And that digital set is, they're rarely going to give you a advance. They want to look at a game that's almost done. They want to help you bring it to market from beta on, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, helping with the testing and the fine tuning and the, you know, polish and then more importantly, helping it with the influencers and the media and the marketing and the distribution side of it. Uh, so Crytek says, publisher needs, of course, a lot of money. 30 to 40% are normal in the indie market. So 30% go, for example, to Steam. 35% of what's left go to the publisher. And then what is left? About 50% taxes in Germany. This is way too less to make a living for a few guys in most cases but that's true but if you don't have a publisher you're also going to make a lot less money so i in guess context, i can i can tell um 35 35 percent of the publishers actually a little high i mean we see that rate go down to 15 to 20 percent. it's one of those <laughs> things that you know it depends on 
who's doing what. It depends on, you know, negotiation of contract, basically. Um, yeah, 30% is going to go to the platform. That's, that's normal. That's the way it's going to work. You know, that's the way it's been working for years. Um, you know, what comes out of that, you know, that net number, you know, is simply a matter of, yeah, it's, it's negotiation and, and who does what, you know, the more you do, the less they're going to take that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but that number can vary widely. And I've had it as low as 15% for the publisher. If the de developer is doing the most work and, you know, all the way up to 30, 40%. So it's a varying rate, but, you know, like Devorium said, you know, 15% of 10,000 is, is a lot better than having 30% of a thousand. So, you know, it's, it is, you have to wait. And, and we're going to get into that, you know, we're talking about narrowing, narrowing your list down because that's, things that you need to take into account. But, you know, there's not, you know, one of the myths that I would like to dispel is aside from the platform percentage, there's not a normal of what goes to the publisher. That is always a variance. You know, it just depends on a lot of factors with the game and the studio and, and the contract. Right. I'm agreeing. All right. So, once you've got oh, and, your... Wait, he says it'd be a good time for those who have doubts to ask questions through chat. Does anybody have any questions you would like answered? Just even yes. feel free to just just put them in there. You don't have to e raise your hand. Yeah, even if we're talking, just put them in there because we're both watching chat, so... Okay, target this. Yeah, it's not... It's not always necessary, but, you know, that part that does depend on the developer and their game, in my experience... 90% of the developers that haven't done this before need one. I mean, you don't. So you don't have to, you used to have to have a publisher to go to market because somebody had to get you in Walmart and Best Buy and GameStop and all those stores. That part you don't have to have. You know, with $100, anybody can publish their game to Steam. You know, that's just the way that Steam's opened up. You know, Apple, you need more than 100 bucks because you need, an, you know, a Mac and a Mac can cost you more than 100 bucks. But, you know, there's, I'm not talking about, can it be done? I'm talking about, can it be done successfully? And, you know, with 600 and some games that are already on the eShop on the Switch and, you know, the dozens, if not hundreds of games that are released every week on Steam, yeah, you can get it out there, but it's a matter of whether or not you can get it seen. And that's the, that's the catch. Depends on the market you're targeting. How would you advertise the Asian market without having a publisher? And Crytek says, that's his opinion. I can recommend a talk on GDC. Why you don't need a publisher. I need to add that to our list because I know that talk. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that that is my take on it these days. But, you know, at the same time, two, three years ago, I, I was exactly the other opinion. It's just, you know, this is what we see in the market. And, you know, it's brutal. It's not brutal to get a game out there. Yeah, you can get a game out there. It's a brutal to get your game seen. You know, that's that's the catch. And it takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time and energy. So if there's just like three dudes working on a game, how much time do you really have to invest in doing social media or outreach or running a Discord channel or all of that kind of stuff as well? So the one developer that I talk about him a lot is Death Trash. His game is not out yet, but... You know what? It is just something to me that stands out on social media. And he's the artist for the game, and I believe the programmer, and he posts multiple times a day. But his content online is so amazing that his 
following it just blew up sounds like you're starting the right business if you don't and have you a know, publisher what, oh go ahead what he's done as well is you know he's hit on a nerve that everybody you know what immediately caught my eye on that game it's like you know it's a fallout the way it should be and i was like yes and yeah so now i'm you know in that group that's anxiously awaiting it uh-huh um but it does yeah i mean it, it, there's a lot of the stuff that we think don't take a lot of time even you know the stuff that you do every day if you sit down and you think about it or you sit down and you actually monitor your time you find out you're spending more time on it than you actually realize you are and so every time you're doing one thing it's of course you're not doing something else and that adds up you know and, and, and publishing a successful game is not as simple as hitting submit on steam and you know making sure you got some screens and your steam page works uh it's, it's a lot harder than that now so the first the next thing i want to jump into and i'm going to keep my eye on the on the questions so if i forget a question just yell at me andy okay. um but building your target list so you know like we said there's 500 some publishers out there right now how do you know you know which one is the right one for you and so, you know, there's various things that you can do, you know, and none of this is top secret rocket science. This is all fairly easy stuff to do, but time consuming. And so, you know, use things like Steam Spy, uh, you know, go to, if you're, if you have a PC game, it's obviously not going to be doing good on an Android game, but, you know, you can go in Steam Spy, you know, I've got a, I'm a Patreon for it. So I have access to a little deeper of the database than you know just a regular user does but quite frankly i haven't been a regular user so long i don't know where that line is um but you can go on steam spot and you can sort by uh by tag by genre um that will give you a hint of you know who's developing who's publishing a certain type of game because you want a publisher who understands your type of game if they do nothing but racing games then don't send them an rts or you know an rpg or something like that it's not going to be their cup of tea in the first place, but at the same time, you know, they're not going to do as well with it as somebody who, you know, month in and month out publishes a specific type of game. So, you know, on the PC, go to Steam Spy, sort it by, you know, the games that are like yours, basically. Uh, and then look through that list and see, you know, who's publishing and who's not. And you can always tell because it's a different you know, in the developer column, it'll have one company, and the publisher column is a different company. So that's the easy way to say, hey, these are people that are publishing other games. And then you can actually click on that publisher, and, you know, it pulls up a stat page of, here's all the games that they've made. Here's, you know, their reviews, and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So it's a really, really good tool if you dive in there and start using it. Hmm. On the mobile side, you know, you've got Sensor Tower, App Annie, you know, the mobile stores themselves, you know, where you can go in and look at who the top selling companies are in a certain style of game or genre or something along those, those lines. So, you know, those, it's research, basically. It's, it's a little bit of grunt work. And you're going to need to go in and find the companies that are publishing games similar to yours and create this big, big target list to start with before you start, like, narrowing it down and, and weeding through and, and doing all that sort of stuff. Um any questions that have popped up? Well, he said, uh, Red Tiger Pro said something that was interesting. Interesting. I learned that time. I learned that time to value lesson from WoW. You can farm mats you need, or you can farm the most sense or sellable mats and buy what you need. <laughs> we were actually talking about that. Something similar. 
to that the other day. I had a whole tune on one of the servers that that's all I did. Mm-hmm. I, you know, absolutely flip, I played the wow auction house, like a stock market and flip mats and things like that. And yeah, it is. That, that's a very good point. You know, you can do everything yourself or you can do the important things and, you know, buy the match you need. In other words, hire people to do other stuff. And that's what you're doing. You know, a lot of times with a publisher, you know, you're, you're hiring them for a percentage of the company, I mean, a percentage of the game to, you know, help you be successful on that. Yeah, you are a bastard, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I, I made a ton of gold doing that. But and that that was that was how I spent most of my time playing WoW for a little period for a period of time because I found that more fun than going out and trying to raid. Um but it is I mean, that that is a good analogy for for you know what we're doing here. So so once you've got this you know list generated and you know roughly who the best partners are going to be for you. That's when, you know, you need to start narrowing it down. And if you're going and, you know, look at the other games that were done, we already talked about that. Uh, you know, how are they reviewed? Google, you know, the company. I mean, mm-hmm. People on Reddit and, you know, on Google in general and Medium are very quick to point out if, you know, a publisher has done something wrong that they, you know, don't like. It's very easy to find it, but you just got to take it into context too, because some of the big hoodoo around stuff isn't really that big a deal at the end of the day. Um, you know, look at their game reviews, look for online articles. But you know, most importantly, and you don't necessarily have to do this from the outset. Once you start talking to publishers and you've got a bit of interest in there, you need to pick up the phone or, or get on Twitter or you know, email other developers that they've worked with, because that's going to give you the most realistic expectation. And most developers are are willing to say, you know, they're not going to go into a bunch of confidential stuff, but they'll say, yeah, you know, we had a little issue with this producer or we weren't really happy with the marketing that they did or, you know, they'll give you honest feedback. They're not going to sugarcoat it. So, right, because devs know, generally want to help each other. Exactly. You know, we, that is the beauty of our industry. We have a very helpful community even with companies that are quote unquote competing, you know, it's, it's very easy to go out there and and get real feedback and you absolutely should do that. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you can't go and say, here are, you know, my five, it's like when you're hiring somebody and you're like, okay, your resume looks good and your interview looks good. Give me some references. Well, you're not going to give, you know, the asshole neighbor that you get in a fight with constantly as a reference, you know, you're going to give, your friends that are going to give you good reviews. And that's the same thing. If you go to a, if you go to a publisher and say, Hey, you know, give me some references of, of other developers you're going to work with. They're going to give you the developers that they had good relationships with. And that's not because they're bad or evil. It's because they're human. Everybody does that. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to do a bit of digging on your own and say, okay, I look and see they published this game. Let me reach out to these guys. and see what they thought, you know, that aren't necessarily, you know, the best friends of, of the publisher or the producer or whoever you're dealing with. Right. Okay. We have a question where the, where there is less competition and more possibilities to sell an indie game at a fair price for the developer. Nowhere. I mean, that's the, that's the reality. I mean, it's your best market is always going to be steam because they have the most market share. Mm-hmm. Getting visibility there is the problem. You know, there are, other stores but you're you start playing with a a supply and demand thing 
it's like, yeah, you can go put your game on, you know, Green Man Gaming or, you know, you play, you know, from Ubi or even the new thing from uh, Congregate. Yeah, that we talked about last week. You're going to have less visibility and less competition on that site, but you're also going to have fewer, you know, customers. So mm -hmm. there's Steam is still the big, biggest, you know, Steam. Amazon is starting to catch on now, finally, because they have their, you know, their their Twitch client that they're trying to get everybody to download, which has all these games, you know, that you can buy straight from Amazon like that. You don't have to go to the actual Amazon page anymore and, and try to buy a game digitally like that. But, you know, Steam is still going to be your best one because even, you know, with the visibility issues, you've got the most people coming there. And that's where you're going to have with the smaller sites. Yeah, you do a sale and you're going to have however many people that are going to, you know, you could be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that buy your game, but, you know, they're buying it like at a buck. So you've got, it, it, it's a constant game of, you know, one way or the other, a seesaw, a supply demand, up down thing. You know, it's, there's no clear cut answer. You have to look at everything in the terms of, you know, the pros and cons of that platform. Personal opinion, but I think there are too many developers that think their game is better than it actually is. I have that same personal opinion. But, mm -hmm. that's, <laughs> but that's it. You know, it's somebody once joked and said that I made a living out of telling people that, you know, their baby is ugly. And to a certain extent, <laughs> that's a good, I mean, that's it. It's like, you know, we would have folks come to us. I'll never forget. We had a, um, a company that was, you know, local, they were, they were an engine company and they would come back and say, Hey, will you take a look at this game? You know, that a, de a developer that's licensing our tech is using it and tell us what they felt. And so I did that one time for a game and uh, the developers owner or whatever called me because I want you to talk to one of the investors. And so I said, okay. And I did. And I gave him my honest <laughs> feedback. On the yeah. It was early, but I was like, look, they're not, you know, the biggest thing at that point was they were not, you know, utilizing their, the engine to the best of its ability, even though they were thinking they had. And so I got a call from the tech company the next day and he goes, what did you tell them? And I'm like, what do you mean when I tell them? I told them what I thought. And he goes, yeah, they can the project. And I'm like, oh, well, sorry, but you know, that's, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. Yeah, that's, that's what that's you the, asked me to do, dude. Yeah, you asked me to get feedback. And so I gave my feedback, you know, the fact that, you know, they listened and the investor said, this isn't working out. That's not really my fault, you know? So, um, but it is, and people do that. They have this, you know, they see what they see. It's the same as you never ask your friends and your family, your, you know, their opinion of your game. They're always going to tell you, yeah, it looks great. Even if it doesn't. So yeah, that is a bit, that, that's an issue. But your it's something you to learn yeah. If I call my game dog of war, would it be enough to sell more? No, because I bet if you Google Dog of War, there is yeah, a bunch sure of stuff. Pretty sure there's games named Dog of War, actually. There's a bunch of them? I know I've seen it before. Someone needs to tell you that. Yeah, you got to get construct constructive criticism. And the big thing is being able to take it. You see a lot of devs on Steam. People will tell them something about their game and they just go off on them. Yeah. You know? But there is a lot of... But you not you have to good have, you have feedback have good on to work in this industry and so you know if, if you can't don't ask someone's real opinion if you're not gonna 
like what they say. And you have to realize it sometimes. Right. Well, I, like I was working with this product and I was talking to somebody about it and he checked it out and he got back to me and said, it's too invasive. And I was like, okay, that is, that's something, but that's not enough information. <laughs> you know, that's like saying, you know, this game is too, lin it's too something, you know, this game, this game sucks. Okay. Well, thank you that you don't like it, but that does not tell me what exactly the issues are like. Is it the way the character moves? Is it the way that everything's work? Is it the level design? You always tend to compare game industry with the music industry. There's a lot of bands, but not everyone makes it. Oh, big time. Big time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> you know, and, and like your example, Andy, that's why you don't ever ask me about feedback on your heart. I'm not the guy that can sit there and say, well, you're not utilizing the shader properly. I'm like, I don't like it. I think it sucks. That's the extent of my art feedback. You know, I, I don't do the art end of it. So, you know, you got to be able to take the, you know, criticism when it comes in, but you also have to know who to ask, you know, the right, the right questions to. So, um, yeah, but yeah, but most importantly, it's, you know, understanding what you need to know and what you don't need to know. And having that thick skin to be able to say, okay, yes, I got really, I got really, you know, harsh feedback on this but it's what i needed to hear you know and there's a correct way and incorrect way to give feedback when i was uh, a little tangent when i was in animation school at animation mentor that was very one of the first things they said because they want everybody to give feedback to as many people as they can so they don't you know what you have to do and it kind of helps with the egos too, as you say, well, I like these certain things about it, but if it was me, maybe I would change this or that, or I don't like, I'm not fond of the way that this or that works. You can't just go, here's some feedback and just say a whole bunch of things that you don't like, you know, best part is when people post their stuff in Twitter and everyone is praising. Then there's that one guy that points that the eye looks kind of wrong. Then the guy is the worst person alive trying to bring people down. I know. I, I, I want to know. What the hell is vertically integrated, man? <laughs> Where does this it say that? This game is too vertically integrated. That's that's a use of buzzwords that um that is not good feedback. That's um oh too yeah, vertically I, integrated. Yeah, I wouldn't know what yeah. to do with that. <laughs> it's really hard to get bad feedback. I mean, people don't usually say I didn't like about this in your game. Twitter isn't the platform for criticism. No, <laughs> <laughs> neither is Reddit. You know. <laughs> oh God! You really want to feel bad about your life? You know, go and post something on Reddit and ask for feedback. So, all right. Um, all right. So once you've you've got your list, you've narrowed down your list, and you've gone out and you started talking to, you know, the publishers. And at this point, you know, it may be a hundred of them. It may be fifteen. It just depends on what your, you know, what your list was. We did. We did a um, mobile game recently, and I think it went to 200 different studio, 200 different publishers globally. So, you know, it can be a lot of people. Once you get interest and you've got coming in, you know, it's time to start asking these hard questions that we were talking about, you know, and, and qualifying. And, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, asking for details. So who was your producer? And, you know, when you're calling up the developers, for example, you know, who was the producer that you worked with that publisher? What was your experience like with them? 
you know, ask them what was the usual turnaround time on email responses? What did they promise to do for you? Did they follow through on it? Did they not? You know, what kind of marketing did they do? Was it effective? Was it not? You know, little things like, you know, and this is something I see a lot and it's annoying. It's like, you know, sometimes the, the publishers marketing department doesn't use the most recent screenshots on their promotions. And so I see, you know, clients and developers and they're looking at me and they're, they're just heads are about to explode because a big press release went out and it's got, you know, screenshots from the game with the old UI and, you know, or it, it's not showing the most recent level tweaks or, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, it, you have to dive down in some instances to that level. Um, you know, I've had publishers that, you know, didn't use the most up-to-date level, I mean, version of the game when they were giving a demo to press. Um, you know, on the more business side, the more, you know, revenue end, you know, have their sales report been, you know, on time, up-to-date? Have they paid their bills on time? You know, most importantly, when you sit down, you know, and you talk to one of these, you know, developers, you're going to be like, would you work with them again? Because at the end of the day, no publisher is going to tick off all these boxes. You know, there's always going to be things that they, you know, didn't live up to expectation of well, a developer. It may be that the developer's expectation was too high. You know, but there's a lot of things that you're not going to get in there. But at the end, but, you know, if that developer says, you know, despite that, I'd still work with them on the next project or we're working with them on another project or something like that. That's a good sign. You know, that's that's a good, a good flag coming up. Um but yeah, I mean, that's when we're talking about qualifying them, you know, that's what we're talking about going in and asking hard questions about, and you know, you ask them to the publisher and you can ask them to, you know, developers that they've worked with. And you can't be afraid to ask the publisher because, you know, that's just never going to, you're just never going to help. It's never going to work out for you. Um, if they, if that publisher is uncomfortable with you asking these questions, that's a red flag in the first place. You know, they need to be able to, you know, be confident in what they're doing and, you know, not get offended if somebody wants to ask, you know, questions. Because I guarantee you they're sitting down and, you know, in their green light meetings and going through a lot of these same questions about your studio. So, you know, you have to be, you know, polite about it, but you have to ask, you know, a lot of these questions. Omid um, that does the Twitch business stream had a tweet just last night, I think, you know, and he was talking about, you know, basically doing business with people in general. And if they're, and it's something that I preach on constantly, if the relationship is rocky and uncomfortable, even in the contract negotiation phase, it's going to be like that through the whole process. Mm -hmm. It's not going to suddenly get better when you sign a contract. You know, Amid says, you know, check for things like, did they stick to their scheduled appointments? Can they write an email without typos? Can they communicate their ideas effectively? And can they listen and adjust to feedback? And if people can't do that, you know, it's not the end all be all, but it is an indicator of, you know, what the relationship might be right, might be like down the road. Yeah, he is the uh, owner of Online Performers Group, OPG, OPG.TV. And his stream is at twitch.tv slash omid. I believe it's later on today. Actually, at two, two, so in a little bit. Working with people is hard. Yes, it is. And annoying. 
But, uh, well, you know, see, what you got to do is just lower your expectations to, <laughs> to where no matter what, you know, nobody is ever going to accomplish. You just assume no one's going to accomplish what they say. So therefore you overcompensate for it yourself. And then when they do follow through, then you're just like pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Set your expectations lower. You'll always hit them. Yeah. So all right, I'm scrolling back through, you know, questions, you know, anything along those lines. I mean, because it's, it's not a process. I mean, it is a process. It's not something you're going to get right. You're going to nail the first time, but you know, when you're thinking about your game and bringing it to market, this is like one of the most important decisions you're going to make. And so you have to make sure that, you know, you're, you're getting into this and you're doing this with companies that you're comfortable with and that are actually good at doing it versus someone who's just, you know, telling you that. And uh -huh. you, know, you absolutely, without a doubt, have to do that research on your own, you know, to make that successful. The success. So, 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 all right, I'm just going back up here. Um, if developers know how complicated the marketing moment is, why have they not developed a game that serves to learn marketing and the failures you must suffer while you do learn? Didn't Game Dev... Um, game Dev Simulator? Yeah. Something? They, they should have Game Dev there. Marketing Simulator. Yeah, it's called Streamer Simulator. Um, mm. They had some some points in there because I played that I played a little bit of that game and it was one that I you know I had several like honest to god laugh out loud moments in it because I'm like oh my god that's that's silly and crazy but I've actually seen that happen in the industry um the problem with doing a game about you know where you can learn about the marketing is you'd have to do a significant amount of marketing to get it out there where enough people would learn about it and it would most likely end up being a self-replicating you know issue but I mean I, I, that's why I love games like that game dip tycoon because so much of the stuff that was in it was like legitimate issues that people come up with. Is the icon we choose for a game important? Many devs seems to use generic icons for the desktop. I think all artwork is important. It is. But you also have to weigh, you know, it gets into your budget. You know, you have to weigh the bonus of, you know, artwork. You know, are you going to redo everything? Are you going to create original everything? Are you going to use some stuff? Because there's something to be said about, you know, using known art, not pirating the art, but, you know, using known icons because it's familiar for the customer. And they're not going to have to, like, you know, try to figure out what this icon means when they're looking at the looking for the inventory button that should probably just be a bag. You know that they realize and so there's certain things that folks realize and so it becomes a a give and take type thing you know but if you don't if you're a small team and you don't have the resources to do 100 custom art on it then yeah you shouldn't be doing it make an angry dude yelling to his right and if you're making a shooter make a the PUBG type guy with his you know yeah, what do you mean by icon specifically? Is that like the thing on the desktop? No, I'm talking like in-game. So, Just in-game? You know, like the UI buttons. You know, I, what's funny is we used to look at the save icon used to always be a 3x5 floppy disk picture, and now no one knows what a 3x5 floppy disk looks mm -hmm. like. So, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's one of those <laughs> things. But yeah, I mean, if you're doing a shooter... Use a bullet for your ammo. You know, things that people are accustomed to seeing, they don't have to sit down and go, oh my God, what does this mean? Um, you know, things along those lines, you know, 
It just depends. Right? Yeah, that's what I thought too, Oatmeal. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like for in-game stuff, you know, the reload button can be an R or like a little circle with an arrow, you know. Okay, now I'm catching up with the old thing. The icon we choose for the game important. Many devs seem to use generic icons. Okay, so for the desktop. I don't, I mean, I, I go both ways on that question. Now that I read the question, you know, because on one hand, yeah, you need to have something on your desktop that, that pops out. But at the same hand, I launch most of my games from Steam and there's mm-hmm. no icon on it. You know, it's just Steam. And furthermore, once the icon is on their desktop, they've already bought the game. So it really doesn't matter what your icon looks like at that point in time. They've already, you know, bought the game. So um, I'm going to have to say it's not that important. It's not, you know, to me anyway. I don't know. A lot of people like redesign their stuff and icons. I actually make my own icons for things. Sometimes. Okay, but on all right. So on mobile, whole different ballgame though. You know, when you say desktop, I'm talking about PC. Right. Mobile, yes. People AB test those icons. That is important because that's part of what's getting you noticed on the store. And so mm. that gets into you know, at that point, your game icon is your marketing piece, and so you know it needs to be able to. To pop out, and that's why you see a lot of apps. If they have seasonal content updates, you know, I know um, Fallout, ta- Fallout Shelter, Fallout, whatever the <laughs> free-to-play Fallout thing is, they change their icon for every season. So it's like you're, you know, Vault Boy with a old musket and a turkey for Thanksgiving, and you know, it makes everything pop out. So on mobile, different answer. Yes, it's very important. On PC, eh. Uh, I don't think it's overly that important. Click that link in the chat and read it. It's funny. Contact has done as many overseers prefer gamer icons with faces screaming to the right in an effort to raise your enjoyment and thoughtlessly blend in with the crowd. We've updated it for a limited time. And that's why you look at like Clash of Clans and they have them all right there. Yeah. That is absolutely hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it. And you see when a big game comes out, you know, you didn't really see that much with, you know, the angry person yelling to the right until Clash Royale came out. Yeah. And all of a sudden everybody had to do it. I mean, well, it's like the PUBG, the, the pub, the, the main PUBG guy. There's so many games now that are, are, have that thing with that helmet on and you know what I mean? Discounting the publisher's money plus engine license plus store plus taxes. Do we have to buy coffee? You know, you're talking about with the money you got left over, you know, after the after everything's been deducted. So there's two there's two points to that answer. One, what gets deducted in, you know, from your revenue is a major part of you know your contract negotiation. That gets into the net receipts clause that'll be in there. And over the last twenty years, I have seen some outright fucked. Uh, net receipts calls. I had one of them that called out marketing. That's all it said, marketing. It's like, that's not a thing. You know, if you're doing buy-in ads, if you're doing in-store, if you call taking a private jet to Vegas and, you know, getting a bunch of hookers and Coke marketing, you have to be more specific than this. So one, when you're doing your contract, you know, make sure that everything is crystal clear in that contract on what they're actually taking out. Go as far as ask the publisher. 
clear out you know the actual numbers so you're not looking at anything that's confidential and send me a copy of what your royalty report looks like so you can actually see what they're gonna you know deduct here and there and there um and then with what you have left you can do what i do and i stopped buying starbucks and fancy coffee and all of mine is now folgers and maxwell house and whatever else is on sale you know at the grocery store that week because i'm not a big you know I'm not snooty on, on my coffee. On my beer, however, yes, I'm very snooty. And so then, then I have to have extra money. But, you know, the point is part of that qualification process and then part of that negotiation process is making sure you understand and make sure that publisher is not taking things out that are ridiculous, you know, mm-hmm. from your name. I mean, from your revenue. It was summer's first day today. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, it, it snowed here about a month ago. So um, we're, we're finally getting some, some good stuff too. But I mean, any any other questions that anyone's got on the, you know, finding and, and qualifying a good, you know, publisher? Insured benefits. Yeah, talk about that. You got to define what insured benefits are. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase. We need an indie union to negotiate this stuff. You'll never get a union in this industry, no matter how much it's made the news lately. It's not ever, 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 ever going to happen. Because everybody that does unionize, there's always going to be one group, you know, somewhere else that goes, no, we don't get the union. We can do this cheaper and get all the, you know, get all the deals. So, uh, but it is, you know, I'll, I'll take a shameless plug here. You know, you do need an expert, <clears throat> like a consultant <clears throat> that has done a lot of contract negotiation to, you know, help you with your contract. I highly recommend that. The link is down underneath the stream right here. It's it's right. Allgroupconsulting.com. And also and the, the Twitter and the, the LinkedIn right there. And, you know, there's also a lot of the stuff that we go over are in those guides that are down there where it's just free into business guide pop in there. We'll send it to you. Yeah. I'm curious how I should approach publishers after the research. Um, most publishers have a contact me page on their website or they have a, um, an email. Yes. My throat is very dry. Um, (laughs) I just realized who that was. Um, the, most of them are going to have a contact page or, you know, an area of the site where it says submissions. You can reach out there. You know, you can reach out on LinkedIn. You can reach out on Twitter. You know, most importantly, it comes down to making sure that they have the information they need when you send it to them to make a at least a, a cursory decision on everything and make sure you follow up because, you know, we see it all the time. You know, we send something out and we don't hear anything. And then we send a follow-up message and all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. We got lost in the shuffle. I forgot here, you know, here are our thoughts. And we follow up two, three times with, you know, with folks on, on projects to make sure that it has, um, you know, it's been seen and they know it, it, it exists. So, you know, Twitter, email, LinkedIn are all good ways. Um, so what should we send them? What tone, Etc. And what do you have to be taken seriously? Today you have to have a uh, 
you have to have a demo. Don't send somebody something that doesn't have a demo. Um, you're going to have to have screens. I and mean, we have this somewhere in one of our guides. Because I just saw it the other day. You need a high-level you know, version of your game. And keep it to an elevator pitch. Don't write four pages that starts with, you know, it was post-apocalyptic after the bombs dropped, blah, blah, blah. No one cares. Elevator pitch. You know, if you're looking at PUBG, it's Fortnite meets whatever art style we would call, you know, no, sorry, it's Fortnite, it's PUBG meets whatever art styles would be. You know, you want to sit down and say, uh, it's this game meets this game with this twist. And that way, you know, it's relatable immediately. They can look at it and go, okay, I get it, you know, and, and go from there. You need screens. You need a demo or a video. You need timeline to get it to market and the budget that you're looking for, you know, to get it there. That's the baseline. Um, do you think the free AAA games hurt prices for indies? No. Quite frankly, I think indies hurt prices for indies. And, you know, every time I see someone who puts a game out that they've spent months or years working on and they're like, well, I'm going to put it out at 99 cents or 4.99, and you know because that's only that, that's that's what I think it's worth. I want to you know <laughs> I don't want to choke them. That would be not that wouldn't be nice. But you're you can't do that. You're killing yourself. You know I think indies should charge more for what they do. You know, and there's all this argument out there of well. I can't sell my game for twenty dollars because somebody else is selling a game for ten dollars. Well, you have to have first and foremost, a game that's worth selling. And if you've put a lot of work into it, because there's a there's a reverse psychology of this. You know, you look at a game on Steam and you're like, oh, it's $2.99. Well, it can't be that good. And, you know, I don't care who you are. You do it in the back of your head. But if that same game is $15 or $20, then you're going to look at it and go, okay, well, let me at least look at it to see if I think it's worth that. The ones that are $2.99, you're like, I'm just going to skip it. I don't even want to look at it. It's obviously not worth it. I think indies need to price their, you know, games higher because, you know, you start looking at the number of units you sell, you're not losing that many people and you're, and you're creating an inherent worth in your game. I don't go out there and sell it for 60 bucks, you know, mm -hmm. unless you've got something that's truly worth 60 bucks. But, you know, the developers that sell their game for, for $5 and even $10, I'm like, you need to sell it. You need to go a little higher with that. Um, but then just because someone spends <laughs> so much time on a game doesn't mean that it's worth it, that the game, that people are going to pay that. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, there's always everybody's, you know, opinion of it, but you know, it, it gets into that. And it's the same as your little icon. You know, you want to set that expectation in the, in the player's mind, in the consumer's mind, that your game is worth their time. Mm hmm. Um, Devorium asked how much time between follow-ups is 30 minutes enough. <laughs> I would yes. say 15. 15, 15 to 20. Send your game. Press send, write another minutes. email, and send it I again. Don't, don't write an email. Call their office every 30 minutes until they look at their game. Yeah. Um, we do generally four to six business days. Um, you know, if it's a, if we send something out on a Monday, I may follow up on a Thursday or a Friday. Um, I wouldn't go much more than a week and a half. And once a week is okay. But, you know, if you've sent three emails or you try to get a hold of them three weeks in a row and nobody's answering, move on. They're not going to answer. Because that's the reality. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been doing this 20 years. I send out a game 
I get generally a 33% response rate. And, it, and it'll be a different 33% every time I send it out. But, you know, two thirds of the publishers aren't going to respond, even if they respond to the last four games we sent them, because, you know, it's not it's not what they're looking for at the time. Or, but or, but you know, you're, uh, and also your response rate is going to be higher than a dev sending their game out simply That's because true. publishers know you. So the reason they wouldn't be responding is because the game is not necessarily their type. Whereas if just a random game dev would send out that, they might not respond because it's just, you know, oh, I don't know who this is. You know, I might not even take the time to look at it. But, and, and that's the other thing I'll say when you're doing those submissions, don't write page long emails. You know, we've seen that email is still a very viable, viable marketing medium, but not if you send stuff. You know, I had a client that every time I got an email from him, I swear to God, it was two pages long. And I would just like show my wife and I'm like, hey, look, so and so emailed me again. And she's like, yep, yep, there's a novel. No, keep don't it, do that. that you don't. <laughs> Because you read like two paragraphs into it, and your eyes start glazing over, and you're like, "What the?" Keep it short, <laughs> you know. Now I can't stand those like this new style of blogging or, or posting where you like write a sentence and then double space and then write one more sentence, and I'm like, "Okay, get to the fucking point." As I scroll through here, but you know, you do need to keep things you know as succinct as possible in that initial outreach. You know, you can go into detail when you're on a phone, a conference call, or at a show. You know, but, you know, to get everyone's attention, you need that elevator pitch of video screenshots and the important information. How much is this going to cost me? When's it going to be done? I do think some devs undercharge for their games, but I can't ignore the existence of the market and competition. That's super true. How strongly should one push back on a publisher regarding the producer or game control? Is it realistic to be hardline like you are giving me money to make money? You do not get any say in the development. No. <laughs> not that exact phrase there you know at the end of the day they are giving you money that you don't have if you had the money you wouldn't need the publisher so you know on a very basic level they're having value you know to you and so yes you do have to listen now you can to the degree to which you push back is simply a matter of your relationship with the publisher if you're put yourself in a situation where you're constantly bickering back and forth with your producer or your executive producer, maybe you should have thought through more of that in that qualification stage. Or, but, you know, there's certain, there'll be a situation where you don't really have a choice. The only guy that, you know, wanted to give you money and you really wanted the money. So it's never going to be a one-way street. You're always going to have things that you want to push back on. You just have to, you, you have to make an intelligent argument, just like anything in life. You know, I want that in there because I want that in there is not an argument. You know, I want that in there because we feel the players are going to be more engaged if they have this feature available to them. That's an argument, you know. So as long as you are polite and intelligent about it, you push back all you want. You know, it's it's standing up in, on your desk and screaming, no, I don't want co-op multiplayer because I don't want co-op multiplayer isn't, you know, going to help anyone. So, you know, you have to make sure that relationship is going to be good to start with, at least as good as possible. But, you know, you always should have that relationship on and on where, you know, you can say, listen, I really want this feature because X, Y, Z. Or, you know, it's, you know, the other way around. I don't want to put this feature in because of, you know, 
XYZ. From the perspective of a publisher, I'd say it's a little contradictory to say if you had the money, you wouldn't need the publisher. Only a little, though. But only because publishers offer more than money. Yes, no, I agree. That was a very generalization. But the point being, you know, you need to take that feedback from the publisher, whether you whether you agree with it or not, because you did bring that publisher in for a reason. If it was, it, it could have been more than money. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, that was just an example. But you know, you've obviously gotten them involved in the project because of you know, a value that they bring. I'll rephrase that. Not just money, but, you know, a value that they bring. Because a lot of times it will be a marketing coin, you know, and we had, you know, especially in the years of doing boxes on shelves, you know, a lot of game design and feature, you know, design was list was, you know, started in the marketing department because of the bullet points they needed to put on the box to get people to actually buy it. And so you still get a sense of that, it's not quite as clear cut as that anymore, but yeah, you're going to have, you know, a good publisher is going to say, look, we're going to get more social outreach if we do X, Y, Z, you know, if we add speed running to, you know, this project or, you know, a replay camera or, you know, and it could be different things, but it's going to be based on their feedback. So yeah, it's not always going to be the money, but you know, you still need to, to listen to them and you should have a degree of, pushback but it's a two-way road you know you need to listen to them they need to listen to you or you know the relationship isn't healthy in the first place all right because part of what you're hiring him for is their expertise and knowledge yeah, in that field exactly. i totally forgot that red tiger pro is aaron i always forget that so many usernames not gonna lie i'm looking for a publisher that could help you fund the project but for what do you have in mind you could get the funds for non-public for non-publishers, but I feel like I need their experience knowledge since you're from Brazil and new at game development. And that's, that's another aspect of, you know, where you're physically located is, you know, like it or not, the reality is it does impact your ability to promote your game. Um, you know, we deal with a lot of companies in Europe, a lot of companies in on the West coast and we're, you know, for a firm that does what we do based on the East coast, it's, it's a benefit because I can get up in the morning and, and, and talk to Europe, you know, in the afternoon, I'm talking to, you know, the West coast and, and Australia. And so it's, you know, easier, but, you know, you'll see developers that are in, you know, Europe or Eastern Europe, they will sometimes have bigger issues with publishers who are based on the West coast of the U S because it's very hard to get all of that communication down pat. The same with, you know, situations where you have client and publisher on any two separate continents, you know, all of that can be overcome, you know, a good producer will know how to manage that, mm -hmm. but it's still a factor that, that you've got to look into. So, yeah, I mean, where you're physically located, you know, becomes a factor in some of this stuff too. So if you're not getting something other than money from a publisher, you might as well go with Kickstarter. You don't want, don't go with Kickstarter. We'll, we'll cover that next week. <laughs> we'll cover that next week. Yeah, we're, next week is what? Crowdfunding? Yeah. Let's have a look. Yeah, next week is crowdfunding. Kickstarter is brutal. Triton! It is not what it used to be. What's up, buddy? Yeah. Kickstarter. I was involved in a Kickstarter right before the biggest Kickstarter. I can't remember. What was the biggest game? And it was like the very first big one. And we got Isn't like... The, the space game that's yeah. like still in development that... And they got millions of dollars. dollars yeah, millions of dollars. 
We we did a Kickstarter. I was involved in a Kickstarter. We got thirty five thousand dollars, which was not too bad. And then wow. it's like less than a month Gosh, after, uh, less than a month after that, then that one big Kickstarter happened, and then that it was too late. It's too bad that we didn't do it after that because then there was like then it got all this exposure, and so Star Citizen. Yeah, that, that, that's the one that's still in whatever development. So, but yeah. I hope any, that's helpful. Everybody. Any other questions, you guys? Look at that, 15 minutes. We, we tend to go after. We tend to go past the for an hour stream, but we tend to go past it, so. To be, to be fair, we had five minutes of, you know, my little one radioing me on the, on the walkie-talkie. 10-4, so, uh, Dad, are you there, Rubber Ducky? 10-4, <laughs> Dad. Now I feel like I need to go watch Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> Look at them hot pants that she's wearing. Hashtag food. Upper lip shaved. Yep. Star Citizen is doing a citizen. Are you serious? On two and charging for it. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, functional idiot. You missed nearly the whole stream. You can go back and watch it. That's amazing. Uh, on on the other hand, even though they're still doing fundraising, fundraising that game looks gorgeous. When it runs, yeah, that's such. You can go get in a ship, right? Yeah, well, we 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 can dive into that next week, but yeah. that's uh, yeah, that that's part of the problem with Kickstarter at this point. So that's the problem. All right, well, thank you guys. We'll be back next week. You can also follow on Twitter. Do is there, I have a Twitter command? Yes, there's a Twitter command. Perfect Twitter can, button. Yeah. Exclamation mark Twitter. Right there is the links. Also, there's uh, the Twitter. That Twitter button just goes to the Powell group. But that exclamation mark Twitter goes to all of our Twitters right there. And you guys can follow me on Twitch if you want to, if you're not already. I never, I haven't promoted myself in here yet, but there, I just did it. <laughs> yes. And you all are welcome. And yeah, just remember, any if you've got questions, you know, send them through, hashtag them. I mean, my contact information's in there. Email them over. You know, we can absolutely talk about them and, and you know we'll keep them confidential on there as well we won't call you out but you know we're happy to do that sort of stuff hashtag indie game business if you want to do it on twitter and then just tag us in it all right you guys oh. thank you so much i guess that's it thanks everybody bye oh some music yeah Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.